Welcome to Studying the Song, a podcast to help musical theater actors figure out what to sing and how to sing it so that you shine in your audition, one-woman show, or leading role. My friends, talent and passion are only the beginning. I believe there is freedom in preparation. I believe that when you put in the work, practice the skills, and do the research, something amazing happens. You become so prepared in your craft that you become unstoppable. In this podcast, I want to give you the tools and skills to create a powerful audition book that showcases your artistry and actually gets you work. I want you to feel totally at home reading the musical score of a show, and I want to help you define your unique artistic voice. Consider me your own personal vocal coach in your earbuds, cheering you on and bringing you the reality checks you need along the way. I'm Corey Yamaoka, and I'm so excited to be walking this journey with you. Let's dive in. Hello, and welcome to Studying the Song, the podcast that helps musical theater singers figure out what to sing and how to sing it so you can shine in the audition room. I'm your host, Corey Yamaoka. In today's episode, I'm going to be interviewing dramaturg and music director Maddie Mae Williams. Now, let me tell you a little bit about her before the interview. Maddie is a multidisciplinary artist and scholar based in San Diego. Born and raised on Cape Cod, she received her BA concentrating in musical theater, poetry, and Africana studies from Hampshire College. Maddie is continuing her studies as a fourth-year theater PhD candidate at UC San Diego. Her dissertation project focuses on alienation in countercultural performances of the long 60s. Her other research areas include American musical theater, the Black Power and Arts movements, horror and the uncanny, performance for children, and the films of Stanley Kubrick and John Cassavetes. Maddie is passionate about theater work that is accessible, radical, and increases visibility and representation for people of marginalized identities. She is a member of the Literary Managers and Dramaturgs of the Americas and uh, the Black Theater Network. So that's a brief snapshot of who Maddie is. Now, I met her several months ago when we actually did a masterclass panel together, which was about storytelling um, through song. And I just, I felt like we connected right away and I was so impressed by the depth of her comments and the eloquence with which she spoke. And I just knew that I wanted to have her on the show. And during that conversation, I actually learned that one of her like areas of expertise and study is folk music and the 1960s. And I thought, ah, what a great topic for us to discuss here on the podcast I mean, there's a million musicals out there right now that are either straight up folk musicals or they're drawing on the traditions of folk music and reinventing them. And I think that it's something that singers are constantly coming to me and asking, like, what do I how do I audition for a folk show? So today we're going to discuss what folk music is. Where does it come from? What kind of stories do folk songs tell? Um, what is the lineage over, you know, through the years? What are the different sort of waves of folk? And how do we perform it as authentically as possible in the world of musical theater? So without any further ado, here's my fascinating conversation with Maddie Williams. Maddie Williams, thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. Very excited to be here. I am so excited to have you. We met a couple weeks ago. We were doing a panel on storytelling And you and I just like hit it off right off the bat. And I realized like, this is a woman I want to have on my podcast. And one of the things that I found out about you during that time, and I don't know if it was during our little pre-conversation or during the Mm -hmm. panel itself, 
was that you love folk music and you have expertise in poetry and the 60s, where a lot of our folk music that we know and love comes from. And so I thought, it, this is a specific area that I feel like is under-talked about, or we just haven't really mined very much in musical theater. There are a lot of new folk musicals coming out these days. Um, some examples mm -hmm. would be like Hades Town, really recently, Girl from the North Country, which is actually the music of Bob Dylan, going back a few years once, um, even you know going back to the 60s, Hair and Godspell are like the forerunners of this. This music is being sung, and I don't know about you, but when singers come to me, they often don't know what to sing for a folk audition, and they feel like the music is not flashy enough to show off their vocal, and it's just sort of a mystery, and I thought, I want to bring someone on that can unravel that mystery for us, and I think that's you. Well, it's hugely flattering, and like you mentioned from our panel the other week, uh, I feel like it was so serendipitous that we were on this together, and I'm honored and grateful to be here and talking to you and your audience about a genre that, like you said, a lot of folks may not have as much familiarity with, especially if they're coming from a theater background. Um, so diving into this topic is something I'm super excited about. So l before we get fully into it, I want to go back and just look at you sort of created this very interesting undergraduate combination program for you that sort of sets you up to, to know a lot about what we're talking about. So I want you to talk, talk to us about what is this? I'm just going to read what the thing is. Interdisciplinary concentration in musical theater, poetry, and Africana studies. How does all of that come together? How did you convince somebody to let you do these three supposedly disparate things and bring them together? I went to a fantastic liberal arts school in Western Mass called Hampshire College, where students are encouraged to form their own academic paths and research interests. So at Hampshire, students do not have prescribed majors that they are required to fulfill classes for. They can build a program of study that reflects a variety of interdisciplinary research interests. So you could have someone doing something like biology and music or math and poetry, or in my case, musical theater, poetry, and Africana studies. And throughout my time at Hampshire, in developing my research interests and coming up with a final project, one half of which involved writing a choreo poetic piece that I performed as part of our end of the year theater festival, and the other half involved music directing and directing a production of Next to Normal, I found that the ways that my research interests collided led me to realize that I wanted to go on to grad school and continue to develop uh, my academic pursuits uh, beyond the undergrad level. So I am very lucky to find myself at UC San Diego, where I am a fourth-year PhD candidate in theater. My current research focuses on alienation in countercultural performance in the long 60s. So folk music is something that I do a lot of research on. But my theoretical background definitely is informed by my time in undergrad and the three subjects that I studied as part of my interdisciplinary concentration. When I first saw um, this combination of skills, I thought that's so unique. Like I haven't seen anybody really where I'm like they're a music director and they identify as a dramaturg. And well, that's always part of the work that we're doing. You know, we're right. researching 
um, the, the style of the music of that era and we're trying to perform it within that context so it sounds authentic. Um, I've never really seen somebody put that as, as this is who I am. Finding my path to these different identities, it really was something that came somewhat organically. I don't think that when I started doing theater at age 13, I even knew what a dramaturg was. I knew that there might have been somebody who did historical research on a show who wasn't the director. That might have been the extent of my knowledge. But going through my undergraduate program and learning about dramaturgy as an important part of the, the theatrical process, I was really drawn to it because it's something that I do inherently with my work. I want to know the historical details. I want to know the context. I want to create as full a picture and as full a worldview for whatever project I'm working on, whether it is as a music director or as a director. I think it's necessary for actors, designers, and just your team in general to have as full a picture as possible in order to best serve the project. So it was really that you just found out the name for what you were doing already. You're like, oh, this it's is nice. To, sometimes it's nice to have labels. Yeah, exactly. it is. It can make you feel like, okay, this doesn't, this isn't something out there. There is a path for this and this is needed, right? This is a job that exists. Exactly. That's excellent. Um, let's transition a little bit and talk now about folk music. Um, as I mentioned before, there's a lot of folk musicals coming out right now. Um, one that I didn't mention also that's huge right now is Come From Away. So I want to put that out there. And, you know, when we talk about folk, it's sort of a wide range of musical genres that kind of get clumped into that. So we're all, we've got like bluegrass and folk from like this country aspect, but we also have like contemporary singer songwriter folk. Like you might consider waitress to be a folk songwriter kind of musical, right? Or once also sort of contemporary songwritery folk. But I, I want to know, like, where does this come from first? Like, what is folk music? Can you help us define that? And let's just start exploring this world and get some answers here. Absolutely. So I think a, a thousand ethnomusicologists are saying, you can't define folk in 40 minutes on a podcast. What are you trying to do? How can you break this down for your audience? So broadly speaking, the way that I approach talking about folk, especially with students, is it's music by, for, and about the people. And the people, you can capitalize it in your brain or not, but folk music is an inherently collective form of art. So there's a lot of definitions that come up when people are talking about folk music, broadly speaking, worldwide. I think a lot of people, especially in theater, think of folk just as one very westernized genre, especially with that that comes with the 60s folk revival. But folk music um, has a lot of different generic resonances, not only just limited to what we think of when we hear Pete Seeger or Bob Dylan or Joan Baez. So folk music, historically speaking, has been defined as music that was transmitted orally and passed down from generations to generations in a culture music that doesn't have one named or knowable composer, music that was played on instruments traditional to a specific culture. So again, not unique to any specific Western genre. 
um, music that was about a specific group's identity, whether that's cultural or national, um, music associated with folklore of a given place, whether that's traditional stories um, or a religious aspect, and something that has been performed over a long period of time and shared between groups of people as time progresses. Okay, so pause right there. That is a humongous list of things to define folk music. So I'm a, let's just paint a picture here. I'm imagining like these are the songs you're gathered around the campfire and the community is there. And this is like, could be an ancient situation or a modern situation. And this is the song that somebody starts and everybody joins in because it's part of our culture and we all know the song, that kind of a thing. Absolutely. And figuring out ways to translate that to an audition room can be tricky, which I'm sure we'll get into. But that spirit is what really is key, especially when you're talking about performance. That's what's key to me in talking about what defines folk. Okay, so songs of the people, by the people, and for the people. And these songs tell the stories of the people, right? That's what we're saying. So what is really the focus of the content of folk music, would you say? Or is there one? I'm just sort of spitballing here and asking you. Right. So I think that depending on what culture your folk song is from, um, depending how far back we can trace it, and depending on how it was archived, depending on how you're accessing the song in the first place, is this something that has been taught to you by the people? Or is it something that you're accessing in an archive, like, the Steve Roud index, or you're looking at work collected by the families of the Lomax and Seeger folks, you're going to have a very different relationship to what that text is expressing. So I think that trying to say that folk music expresses one particular ideal is perhaps too narrow, but that being said, it is still something that is for, by, and about folk. It is about people. And I think that the stories that are being told in folk songs are about and concern stories of everyday people. So the essence is that it is of the people. It's everyday. It's our stories. The purpose is, how would you answer that? Or is there a purpose? What, how, why are we singing folk music? Because I think this is important when we're taking a song into an audition room And we're trying to impress them with our acting skills and impress them with our vocal skills. But we're singing folk music, which is not necessarily the purpose of showing off vocal ability. Absolutely. How do we get at why we're singing a folk song in the first place? What can be our intent that we put behind our performance? Maybe that's a better way to, to ask this question. I think that that's a great angle in. And I think what's unique about folk as a genre, especially when it comes to storytelling, is that the story is the purpose of why we sing. It is not necessarily, you can't necessarily call a folk song an I want song or a patter song. But the purpose of the song itself, the way that it is structured, is to express a story. Now, whether that story is linear, whether that story is traditional, whether it's one that's being made up, whether it's humorous, the purpose of the folk song itself is to express a story about people. 
And it can be one person, it can be a group of people, it can be a story about a political message, a story about a historical event. But the ways that folk songs are structured and passed on, to me, really resonates with the idea that this is about forging connection, sharing stories, and making meaning. So when we go into that audition room with a folk song, we're trying to, as in any audition should be, you're trying to tell a story, right? But this is really about letting them hear the words of what you're singing. Really step into and follow this story with you. And the added challenge is you don't have time to tell the whole story like you wouldn't with any audition piece. But with folk songs, you have the added challenge of maybe singing a verse and a chorus in 16 or 32 bars and trying to express where a story is going. So that's something I'm sure we'll talk about, but also just adds to the layer of how do you pick a folk song for an audition when it's so specific, you have one snippet of a story. How do you express that in a way that will communicate your ideas to the folks in the audition room? Okay. So you just brought up song form basically when you said verse and chorus. Um, Let's talk about folk song forms because this is what can make it tricky too. Like you said, find the right snippet and you're, Often, older folk songs are telling very long stories, right? Yeah. And they're, it's what we call a strophic form, right? I'm just throwing this out there. I should be asking you, but I'm going to throw in a little bit. Strophic form, meaning it's just A, 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 A. It's that same little verse, the same music expression, but you're just telling the next part of the story. Can yeah. you elaborate on that for us? Are there other folk forms that we should be aware of? Or how can you just elucidate this idea of folk forms being different than what we're used to for contemporary musical theater? So thinking about the ways that folk is structured, you have to also remember that the people who were originally singing these songs were not trained singers. These are people who are, as we've talked about, spending time in their communities, whether it's around the campfire or otherwise, uh, using these songs as a way of communicating historical ideas, political ideas, what have you. And so you're also going to see a lot of repetition throughout. And that's something to keep in mind when you're going into audition room. Maybe you wouldn't pick We Shall Not Be Moved because of the way that that song is structured in regards to repeating the same lines over and over again. So in terms of uh, being able to be creative with the lyrics, one might not pick that. Versus something that's a longer ballad, like Arthur McBride, popularized by Paul Brady, Bob Dylan did a cover of, which is a six-minute-long ballad in which there isn't a whole lot of repetition, but we have the same structure of verse-chorus, verse-chorus, verse-chorus throughout. So... In terms of thinking about what folk song structure looks like is also going to vary based on culture. Again, we've been focusing somewhat on Western folk and folk that was popularized during the folk revival of the 1960s. So things that you'll see from Woody Guthrie, who was a little bit earlier, late 30s, early 40s, who would go on to influence a whole new crop of folk performers in the 60s. That's oftentimes what people are going to think about when they think about folk as audition songs. So you're also going to see influence from rock and roll. You're going to see influence from, to some extent, jazz, depending on what artist you're interested in listening to. So naming one particular folk form 
uh, can be difficult because there are so many different influences coming in because, as we said, it's for, by, and about the people, but there is no one the people. There are many different groups uh, creating new folk forms based on influences from their own cultures on top of it all. So, like we said, it's sort of hard to just pick one structure and name it as this is the folk structure. You bring up a really good point that we tend to think of the 1960s when people are saying, sing a folk song, right? And that is the time where, you know, American folk music, Western folk music starts to sort of branch out because these other influences. What happens after the 60s with folk music? Like, what are some of the other influences or other singers? Can you can you share some of that? Like, what can we be looking at after the 60s? Absolutely. So I think that, in, especially in terms of theatrical performance, the rise of the rock opera and the rock musical definitely shifts the ways that folk is being engaged with in the performance sense. So in performance here, referring to theater, although we talk about performance broadly speaking, uh, the influence of the rock musical and rock opera cannot be understated in regards to the ways that it then influences folk in relation to other forms of performance. So we mentioned Hair and Godspell as musicals that we wouldn't necessarily call folk musicals, but are definitely precursors to some of the shows that we've named. The ways that uh, Scott McDermott, for example, was engaging with multi, uh, engaging with multiple generic forms in hair is not limited to his background as a jazz composer, nor is it limited just to late 60s rock, but he's pulling in influence of folk with songs like Frank Mills um, and incorporating them in such a way that you don't really feel a huge generic shift between the more jazzy moments, the more rock-based moments, the folk moments of the show. And they're creating a more holistic approach to incorporating popular music forms and folk music forms into performance that doesn't feel like now we're switching between all of these mm -hmm. uh, in a way that doesn't feel natural or doesn't flow. Of course, when it, we see the rise of the mega musical in the 80s, we sort of pull away from this in terms of a bigger, broader sound as popularized by Andrew Lloyd Webber and others. But we also see a lot of smaller shows engaging with folk off-Broadway. So one of my favorite off-Broadway, lesser-produced shows is a little show called I'm Getting My Act Together and Taking It on the Road, and that was produced by Joe Papp at The Public. And it's a musical that is very much viewed as a rock musical, but you can definitely trace the influences of folk throughout, both in terms of song content and structure, but also in terms of just the orchestrations. There's a lot of acoustic acoustic guitar without reducing folk to somebody sitting up and, and telling a story with an acoustic guitar. I do think that that image resonates for a reason. And that's because it is an intimate way of telling a story and seeing more musicals engaged with that, or even seeing concerts on Broadway, like Springsteen on Broadway. Again, Springsteen is not identified as a folk musician, but the ways that he engages with storytelling uh, and the fact that he is up there with his guitar singing these songs and telling these stories for a broader audience to me shows a continued evolution and influence of folk beyond just the 60s moment with 
the death of uh, the hippie movement, sort of people moving away from a more politically driven late 60s, early 70s, end of the Vietnam War into what the boomers were originally called the me generation, thinking about what it meant to move from the collective to the individual. And now I think we're seeing a move back towards the collective, especially in regards to performance structure and that which is exciting people in regard to new work. Okay. I just got chills. I got like five things I want to talk about from what you said. Um, the me generation, just cause this is coming up in my mind right now and I'm, I'm putting the pieces together in a new way. You just said that, wait, for, and then the other thing is the guitar. Okay. I want to talk about that too. So politically driven songs in the 60s and early 70s, we're talking about Vietnam, we're talking about the civil rights movement, we're talking about women's liberation, and that folk music really was a way for people to tell the stories of those movements, right? And it resonated, often sung in harmony, often sung um, with simple instrumentation. Okay, we'll talk about that in a second, the instrumentation. And then moving forward with the, the hippie movement dying down and the civil rights movement, movement having made some steps forward and then sort of subsiding for a while, and we're seeing sort of a reemergence of that now, um, and women's liberation, it seems like it kind of came to a head in the early 1970s, and then something new began, maybe because those people were going into the next era, right, of their own lives. They're, they're getting yeah. older. And I'm thinking about how folk music sort of transformed more into personalized confessional stories, which is yeah. this idea of the me generation. And that that's really the link where in the 90s, we start to get more singer songwriters. I'm thinking of people like, you know, Ani DeFranco and yeah. Tori Amos and... I don't know if you know um, Suzanne Vega, and yeah, uh, I mean that's really pulling it out. Um, other people, I mean, they, can you can you give us some other folks that sort of re-emerged in this songwriting community in the '90s? Oh, I think people like Katie Lang. I think Cheryl Crow. I think a lot of folks who, again, we might not call folk musicians, but are really tapping into that confessional individual but still very uh folk driven in terms of sound musicians of this time and also just with a sidebar Joni Mitchell's influence cannot be understated as well though she's not working as a theatrical performer her songs in regard to both political content and personal content mm-hmm. always are right on that line and really, really balanced in regard to using folk as a form to express both of those ideas. Mm -hmm. And her influence and collaborations with scores of artists, both in the 60s and beyond, I think really created a path, especially for women in folk, to really claim this genre for the personal in a way that, again, still very much about people but allows a more introspective look as well. So if you follow that thread, I mean, Joni Mitchell's performing in the 60s and the 70s and into the 80s and 90s as well, right? And then you've got these new artists, Sheryl Crow, Katie Lang, like you said, and then it sort of like keeps transitioning. And that's where we get a show like Waitress, which is written by somebody that's carrying on that tradition. And even though you might not 
well, you might use Joni Mitchell to audition for Sarah Bareilles. Actually, that would work yeah. totally. But they are in totally different time periods. But there's something that connects them in the. It's like taking off the mask and just really sharing from the heart. That's the yep. confessional spirit, I think, of contemporary folk. So basically, I guess I just like drew the fi- the connection with the me generation being like, ah, and now our songwriting becomes personal. And then yeah. what you said is, and then even in the in 2021, our music is sort of moving towards the collective again, which yeah. I find fascinating, and that it's becoming more about us as a whole people rather than just the very personal. Is there something specific that you associate with that as a song or an artist or a movement? Hmm. My first thought when you ask that is just to think about the folk musicals that we have seen on Broadway. And a lot of them are based in sort of a balance of the personal and the collective. So if we look at once, we follow these two musicians, but it's really an ensemble piece. Everyone is playing the music. The songs are performed by the groups. If you look at Come From Away, again, a very much ensemble-based piece, but focuses also on the individual stories of the people uh, who are involved with all of that. So thinking about ways that we can see elements of both come together, I think has already begun on Broadway and with the future of what the folk musical may look like in the future. In regard to pop music, I definitely have noticed an uptick in folks gaining interest in folk music, specifically 60s revival, and seeing what we can pull from in terms of song structure in terms of impact, in terms of historical context, and revamping those forms for our contemporary audience. I can speak for myself in that I sort of live in this world for my research and seeing the things that resonate from 60, 50, 60 years ago uh, remains both haunting in terms of how little things have changed, but also uplifting in that folks from 50, 60 years ago, we're talking about the same things that I'm interested in, that I know a lot of folks are interested in, and thinking about ways that we can use their work as a beginning place or a stepping stone for further change. And I think that that's also the spirit of folk itself. These are stories that have been passed down that have a purpose, that are about people, and figuring out ways that we can continue that work both creatively and politically, is what excites me about the genre as a whole. Yeah, I mean, specifically, you said We Shall Overcome. You mentioned that song previously. Um, It's still necessary today. It's still just as relevant, and we could sing it locking arms, right, and walking down the street today, and it would still be serving a purpose. And unfortunately... The same issue, you know, one of the continuing the same issue from five from fifty to sixty years ago. Um, I'm also thinking about. Um, do you know the the song? I'm sure you do by Bob Dylan, um, the Ballad of Medgar Evers. Mm-hmm. And yep. did he write that, or did he cover that song? Do you remember? I feel like he wrote it, but I'm not sure. Let's find out. Okay, so if you don't know that song, if you're listening, um, it's about. Well, Maddie, I like haven't heard the song in, I don't know, probably five years. Yes. So Medgar Evers was a civil rights activist who comes up in quite a bit of 60s folk. He was assassinated in June of 63. 
And a lot of folk singers at this time who were engaging with the civil rights movement cite his death as an important moment in a lot of folk songs. So you see people like Bob Dylan and Phil Oaks both mentioning uh, Megar Evers in tracks about civil rights. And so did he, so he didn't commit a crime. It was just that he was a leader that somebody wanted to take out. Precisely. And this was written by Dylan. So not a cover, a Dylan original from, from his really, his original folk phase in the early 60s. I'm a huge fan of early Bob Dylan's, uh, Bob Dylan folk. Um, And I just thought of that song because it was a, an assassination that was a, a catalyst as you said, for other people to be writing about and sort of saying, look at this, right? This is what we need to be talking about. And it just like makes me think about George Floyd's death and his murder being another catalyst in the last year and a half that people have rallied around to say enough is enough. I just like, what if somebody brought in the ballad of Medgar Evers to an audition? Just popping in to say that that title by Bob Dylan is actually only a pawn in their game, and it's about Medgar Evers. And then there is also a song called The Ballad of Medgar Evers, and that is by Phil Oaks. Oh, that would be haunting. Yeah. That would be haunting. Absolutely. And figuring out ways to to perform these pieces with care and grace and strategy in the audition room, I think, is really key. These Oftentimes, folk is very intense material. People are telling stories about that which is going on in their communities, and Black death is not an easy topic for anyone to discuss or perform, Mm -hmm. and figuring out ways to do that with a lot of, uh, like I said, specificity, care, and grace when coming into an audition room, I think, is also really important. Knowing that a lot of folk music has intense topics and figuring out ways that if you are going to make this choice to bring it in, which I think would be a really bold and politically relevant move, depending on what piece you're auditioning for, um, figuring out ways to tell that story effectively is going to be key. Okay, so now let's talk about this idea of the guy with the guitar. So I want to talk about maybe making this more practical, because we've talked a little bit more um, theoretically, right, about the, the content of the lyric and why people are writing it and, and the, the through line from Woody Guthrie in the 30s, 40, 40s to folk revival, 60s to songwriters today. But what makes it sound like a folk musical? And I want to bring it up what you said. We think of the dude with the guitar or the gal with the guitar. And why do we think of that? I mean, I'm thinking because those are instruments that are easy to carry with you. They're the instruments yep. that people had in their everyday life. And I'm thinking about shows like Bright Star which is focused on bluegrass and banjo and fiddle. And those were the instruments that people were playing at their local, you know, hoedown or their church, right? Like these are the things they're made out of wood. We take them with us. We travel with them. They're not huge pianos, right? They're not complicated brass instruments. (laughs) So can you speak, I'm I'm sort of, you know, leading the witness here in, in sharing some of this, but what are your thoughts? Like what, makes a folk musical sound folk. We discussed Waitress as being in the folk tradition with the mood of the songwriter. Um, but a lot of that show is theatery too. Right. What do we think that's a folk sounding show or is come from away more folk sounding? Share your thoughts. 
I think that's a solid question. And I think that idea of folk sounding is really the question here is what sounds like folk? What are the instrumentations? What are the orchestrations? What are the song structures that sound quote unquote folky? And I think that's always a complicated question when you're going into an audition room also. So if you were thinking about, okay, say I'm auditioning for Come From Away, say I'm auditioning for Waitress, I might not pick the same song for both, despite both having some folky resonances there. So like you said earlier, maybe I might pick a Joni Mitchell song for both. So say you were going to pick one song, you're going into a season where uh, both of those are options for some summer theater. Okay. So thinking about what are the emotional resonances of both musicals? If I have 16 or 32 bars to express a story that I feel resonates with both and allows me to express a particular emotional ideal, and I want it to sound quote unquote folky, what might I pick? So I might pick a Joni Mitchell song in terms of figuring out ways to to tell a story in 16 to 32 bars, which she's very good at because she's very lyrically driven, Mm -hmm. thinking about genre and sound. Okay, so neither of these shows are necessarily what I might call folk in terms of relation to the 60s revival, but there's elements of pop, there's elements of more traditional sounding popular music, broadly speaking. And there is that sort of folky sound. And again, we're being very broad here when we're talking about folky sound. But I do think that without just reducing it to what we've said, either a guy or a gal with a guitar, thinking about what that image evokes in terms of storytelling, in terms of emotional resonance, and in terms of how the story is being told, I think could be useful when thinking about, okay, what sounds do I want to go for here? So maybe I don't go in with Big Yellow Taxi for either one of those, Mm -hmm. but maybe I pick something from Blue in which Joni Mitchell is being very introspective. It's known for being one of her most emotionally intense albums. Mm -hmm. And maybe you go in with A Case of You. You start with the first verse and a half of that, which will run you about 32 bars. And you think about the story that she's unfolding there. So this does not directly answer your question of what is the folk sound of either Come From Away or Waitress, but the ways that I would think through this if a student came to me or someone who was preparing for an audition and said, I'm thinking about both of these shows, what's something that I can come into an audition room with that? I think about, okay, what are those things that we're thinking about in regards to storytelling, emotional resonance, and genre? And that might be the way that I approach that question from a teaching standpoint. The song you brought up, just to clarify, makes everybody heard, was A Case of You. Oh, I could drink a case of you, darling. It's so great. Um, It's a beautiful ballad. I I love that as a song choice. It's interesting because I'm thinking now, Come From Away, I feel like, has such zest and life Mm -hmm. and it's... It's um, Nova Scotia, right? And Newfoundland or whatever it is. And it's like related to Irish music and Scottish music. And it's, it's almost dance folk music. 
yeah. folk dances, jigs, and all of that kind of a thing. And that is like a whole other piece of the puzzle. What we haven't talked about is the folk music that gets the people moving in their communities and in their cultures. And I think a lot of us sort of get get locked into folk meaning a ballad, meaning a slow story song. But folk could also be an up-tempo rousing number, right? And even, um, you know, if you're looking at Bright Star, which is like Appalachian and Bluegrass, also very similar. A lot of fiddle and banjo and things that are, are meant to be dance oriented activities like you're getting together at the barn like i said for the hoedown and you're doing circle dancing and you're doing square dancing and these are all folk dance forms i don't know if you've studied those very much but that's like a whole other world to be looking into what are your what are your thoughts i see you nodding yes and they're unique to those communities which i think is also important that you pointed out you've named appalachia you've named nova scotia and newfoundland and these specific places where the cultures and traditions of those people, you can feel and hear in their music and the ways that they've been taken up into these performance forms. And so I think that that's also useful in terms of just doing a dramaturgical reading of a folk song that you're interested in. So if you were interested in picking something from a 60s folk moment versus something that's hundreds of years old, you might want to look up the history of the song, do a little bit of research about where this is coming from, who was performing it originally, how did it pass down? As I named earlier, is this song in an archive? Can you hear multiple versions of this track? Um, one that always comes to mind that one that I might not necessarily recommend for an audition, but is the folk song Dink Song, which has been performed by scores of artists ranging from Odetta and Bob Dylan and Dave Van Rank and just think Dave Van Ronk and thinking about the ways that people connect to a story is going to be different because we all have different backgrounds, but there's something in folk that allows each of us to connect to it and finding out what that is, whether that's from a dramaturgical perspective um, or from a structural perspective, finding that is going to be useful in effective storytelling, especially in the audition room where you have limited amount of time. It's not, you're not doing a cabaret. You're not doing a full performance. You have 16 to 32 bars. You got to come in and show me that you get what the story is about, even if you don't get to tell me the whole story. Okay, I love that idea of kind of doing like a dramaturgical analysis and how that song is sort of passed down through the years and who has performed it. Because it makes you think, okay, and then where do I fit in? What's my exactly. version of this piece? And what can I bring to it from my experience and now with the music that I have listened to, how does that provide a new setting, right, of whatever piece you're talking about? That's so fascinating. I'm having a million thoughts and I could just like continue this conversation forever. But what I want to point out as we sort of draw to a close is that nowhere have we talked about vocal virtuosity. Yeah. We have not mentioned, you know, it being a soloist centered Thing, right and I, I and I'm trying to think of another genre where we might talk about that where it is even like um we were talking about like gypsy music which is another sure. sort of type of folk music there is a little bit more of the vocal virtuosity of that type of a singer 
um, where they do kind of more runs and melismas and riffs and that kind of thing. So that sort of folk music, maybe you would talk about vocal virtuosity. But everything we've talked about is has to be able to be done by the common man. So uh, one book that I will recommend to your readers for those who are interested in just learning more about folk, broadly speaking, even though this is specific generically, it's a text that I definitely recommend, is the New Penguin Book of English Folk Songs, uh, which has quite a bit of history on over a hundred folk songs from the English tradition, but also gives a good intro to folks who are interested in learning about more traditional folk in general. But one section that I wanted to pull from for this interview is in the introduction in which they talk about singing style, broadly speaking, when it comes to folk music. And just to quote a little bit from it, the text reads, in the solo performance tradition, the manner in which singers perform a song can vary according to their identity, ability, the context and function of performance, including the amount of alcohol they have drunk, and the kind of song being sung. By and large, the overriding focus of the singer is on putting across the words of the song clearly. Too many histrionics, changes in tempos, articulation and dynamics are felt to detract from this and so are avoided, although there is often more leeway in a comic song. Hence, English traditional singing has often been described as plain or matter-of-fact, even impassive, and this is reinforced by the predominantly syllabic setting of the words to music. And then they go on to talk a little bit about the difference between trained singers and folk singers. So trained singers are basically taught to prolong the vowel sounds of words in order to, the, in order to sustain the notes, which makes sense to the way that we think about general vocal styling when it comes to traditional musical theater. Traditional singers, on the other hand, tend to keep the length of vowels closer to speech and do a greater amount of singing on voiced and hummed consonants. So this also makes sense just in regards to the ways that folk can often feel very talky, quote unquote, which is fine. As it's talked about in the book and as we've been talking about, the, you're not going into a folk audition with the purpose of extreme vocal styling for the most part. Mm -hmm. The purpose is to tell the story, especially if it's going to be somewhat wordy making sure that you are as clear as possible vocally when it comes to pronunciation and making sure that the potentially uh, vast amount of words that you are expressing in a very short amount of time come across clearly. The ways that folk songs are structured, again, not ascribing one particular song structure, but in terms of the ways that a lot of information is fit into a potentially short amount of time, uh, making sure that you are able to express those words clearly in the audition room, I think is going to be the, the biggest challenge. Vocal styling is not going to be the number one goal here. That whole quote was so fascinating. Like the syllabic setting, meaning every syllable gets one note and there's not a syllable that goes on for many different notes, which is what we would call maybe a melisma or a run, right? Or a riff. Um, and then also the fact that the vocal style is affected by how much alcohol they've imbibed, right? And that th these are songs people sing in the bar, right? In the pub. Right. Um, that's something we we haven't talked about. And uh, in identifying like where folk songs come from, like around the fire, at the dance, in the in the town, in the pub. 
Um, another genre, which we haven't even talked about being like field songs and train, um, train songs, right. People that were laying railroad track and just the and union songs too, as well. Yes. So Organized the, workers. So the activity that you're doing affects how you sing the song. That's interesting, right? Like where, what situation do, did the folk sing this song? That's how you need to style it rather than it's about my vocal gymnastics. Okay, that is fascinating. I love that I've been having my own aha moments during this. Um, I want to get that title for you. Everybody, we will put that in the show notes so that you can reference that if you want. Um, I just wanted to, to wrap up with one final question. What practical advice do, can we give to the musical theater singer that has a folk audition coming up. We've talked about a lot of different things today. What is the step? Like, we don't know what the title is. What If they brought it to you, what would be your process for guiding them to the right song that fits that style, etc.? If you have no idea where to start, my first thing would be start listening. Start listening to folk. I know you have limited time to do your audition, but Start listening to the stories and sounds that resonate with you and figure out, okay, what is this person doing in terms of storytelling, in terms of a generic approach that is effective in terms of expressing a political point, a historical point, a story, whatever it is. I think you have to listen in a way that is so different than listening to either pop or the various different types of musical theater songs. Like, you're going to understand the purpose of an I want song because it's built into the, the style of the song itself. A patter song is pretty obvious in regards to this is a moment in which we are engaging with structure and style in a way that that's the purpose of the song. Usually, of course, there's an underlying emotional point to it. But folk is really unique in that you have to engage with it from a broader perspective. You have to have the dramaturgical context. You do have to consider structure. And to me, if someone has never heard any folk before, that would be my first thought is you got to start listening and figuring out what resonates most with you and figure out, okay, what is it? What is that little spark in this person's particular performance that I think is more effective in terms of telling a story, in terms of expressing emotion? That is probably where I would begin with a student. So say we've gotten through that and we found a a folk song that resonates with them. Then I'd pull back and say, let's do some dramaturgical analysis of this. What's the context in which it's coming from? What cultures is this coming from? Who was it written by? If we know who it was written by, sometimes you will know with folk songs, sometimes you won't because they've been passed on for so long. Where was this performed? Who was this performed for? Thinking about that context would be the next step that I would take in regards to cool. So we know specifically where this particular song is coming from. Then I would unpack with them. Let's talk about a little bit of the structure here. So I always refer back to Sondheim talking about the lessons that he took away when he was first coming up as a composer. And that song has a beginning, middle, and an end. And that a character is transformed between the beginning of the song and the end of the song. So keeping those in mind when you're creating your audition cut, being mindful of how you can capture elements of moving from the beginning to the middle or the middle to the end, and considering how that transformation can be performed in a very short audition period 
would be my next step. So just in terms of thinking about effective storytelling in the room, those would be the factors that I would consider when making the audition cut. And then I'd ask them to run it. Think about, okay, this was originally performed on a picket line in 1934 when union workers were striking. Cool. How do you express that to me in a way that reflects the historical context, but also reflects the fact that you're in an audition room for a musical? How do you carry that spirit with you in the room? And I think part of that is performing it for other people before you get into the audition room. See what resonances show up for them as well. Because as we've talked about, if folk music is by, for, and about the people, you want it to resonate with as many people as possible. And I think that a good pedagogical tool in regards to prepping for that audition would be, even if you don't have a whole lot of time, just try and perform it for other people and see what they're taking away from that as well. I love that the context that this was originally performed on a picket line. How can you bring that into your performance? That's what yeah. you mean when you're saying like, look at the dramaturgical, the origin of these songs and where they're performed. And just having that thought in the audition yeah. room, like makes it not about you anymore. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, this is the story of these people that I'm sharing. Um, but it is still about you though. That's the thing, because you are part of a legacy that is continuing on performance practices that were created well before you or I were born, you are continuing to build that legacy and you are part of that. So I think that that's also something really unique about folk. It's almost like you're taking on a role, but you're embodying it in a way that is totally different and adds another personal layer to it as part of the broader collective. My gosh, that's such a great Great thought. I love that we're joining the legacy. That's an amazing way to think about folk music. Um, Maddie, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Where can we find you and where can we follow you on um, you know, social media, website, all that stuff? So my website is Madison May Williams, May is M-A-E dot com. Please feel free to reach out to me there. You can also hit me up on Instagram at Maddie May W. So M A D D I E M A E W. I check all of those frequently and I'm always happy to chat with folks about folk music or otherwise. Thank you so much, Corey, for having me on. This has been a huge honor and an amazing conversation. And I hope that this resonates with your students and those who listen to the podcast. Thank you, Maddie. We'll make sure that all of that gets put in the show notes so people can find you. Thank you again. What an incredible conversation with Maddie. She was so generous and she just brings so much um, dramaturgical connection. When we think about folk music and we're auditioning, I think we get so focused on what the music part is and what the voice part is. And to really go back and to think about why these songs are so important, what was the context in which they were written and how they're handed down, I think just adds a whole nother layer to our um, performance. So here are the takeaways from this conversation. Number one, folk music is by, for, and about the people. Number two, the story is the purpose of why we sing folk music. It's not centered on vocal virtuosity. It's focused on communicating the story. 
Number three, 60s folk music commonly told stories of political movements and historical events. Number four, with the new me generation, i.e. boomers, folk music turned more self-reflective and confessional, carrying on the confessional work of artists like Joni Mitchell. Number five, recent folk musicals are a balance between the personal and the collective. Number six, when selecting a song for a folk audition, think about the emotional resonance you want your song to communicate. Number seven, do your dramaturgical work on your folk song. Where does it come from geographically? Who was performing it originally? How did it get passed down? And can you listen to different versions of it? Number eight, the activity that the folk song is written to accompany affects how you perform the song, whether for dancing, working in a field, laying railroad tracks, marching in protest, try to bring the spirit of the historical context to each performance. Number nine, when you perform folk music, you are joining the legacy of that song. That's all, folks. Thank you for listening today. If you want to connect, you can find me on Instagram at Koryamaoka, or better yet, swing on by Koryamaoka.com and sign up for my email list where I send out weekly tips and the latest news from the Studying the Song podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Koryamaoka, and I will see you next time right here on Studying the Song, the podcast that helps musical theater singers figure out what to sing and how to sing it so you can shine in the audition room.